0: A common scene in technology companies everywhere. Big conference table with the CTO on one end, developer teams on the other, the showdown. We have an idea, will it get funded? More companies are feeling the pressure to go faster and stay ahead of the competition. Projects that have long timelines or no immediate impact are hard to justify. Datastacks is sponsoring a contest with real projects, real money, and real CTOs. If you have a Kubernetes project that needs a database, the winner will get funded with a free year of Datastack's Astra. Follow the link in the podcast description to submit your project. It's time to impress the CTO and get your project funded. Eyes glazed over from debugging a remote Kubernetes service? Instead, run your service locally in your favorite debugger and instantly find the problem. Ambassador Telepresence is the easiest way to debug microservices on Kubernetes. Spend more time fixing problems instead of reproducing them. Ambassador Telepresence is free to use for teams with unlimited developers. Get started today at getambassador.io slash devdiscuss. Educative.io is a hands-on learning platform for software developers. Learn anything from Rust to system design without the hassle of setup or videos. Text-based courses let you easily skim back and forth like a book, while cloud-based developer environments let you get your hands dirty without fiddling with an IDE. Take your skills to the next level. Visit educative.io slash devdiscuss today to get a free preview and 10% off an annual subscription. Get ready to level up at New Relic's virtual event, FutureStack 2021, held May 25th through the 27th. Join your fellow data nerds from around the world to learn, inspire, and rack up experience in 50 interactive sessions, 12 hands-on labs, and a 24-hour hackathon. FutureStack is your cheat code for observability. Engineers from across the industry will lead you through topics like Kubernetes, DevOps strategies, and observability. Then join us to relax with some Minecraft on Nerd Island. Registration is free at futurestack.com. Game on.
1: I think a lot of my discovering relatively lesser known CSS properties came from that. I could do it in JavaScript, but no, <laughs> I want to make life difficult for myself and do it in CSS. <laughs>
0: Welcome to Dev Discuss, the show where we cover the burning topics that impact all our lives as developers. I'm Ben Halpern, co-founder of Dev.
2: And I'm Jess Lee, also a co-founder of Dev. Today, we're talking about little-known things you can do with CSS with Wei Jing Chen and Ananya Niogi, UX developers at Shopify. Thank you both so much for joining us.
3: It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, thank you for having. It's like so fun.
0: Ananya, tell us a bit about your background as a developer.
3: So right now I'm working as a UX developer, but before this, I was working more into web and like the whole full spectrum for the past, like three going four years now, I've been working as a front end developer in like various companies. Like my first job was in a small design agency. And from there I moved to different places, but I've mostly worked in the front end because I love it so much and I never want to change that ever again. So yeah, I love doing it.
2: Awesome, I don't think you ever hear those words come out of my mouth, loving front end so much. (laughs) (laughs) What what kind of projects have you been working on at Shopify?
3: I specifically work on the admin side of things. So if anybody knows, like if they're using Shopify, the dashboard that they see and they manage their orders and stuff. So that's the area that I'm generally working on. Mostly day-to-day work just goes into like just working on features just like doing a lot of accessibility stuff, writing like CSS and contributing to the design system that we have, Polaris. I hope a lot of people will know about it. (laughs) Yeah, that's it.
0: Admin work at Shopify is pretty mission critical. That is, uh, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) that sounds pretty cool. It's not exactly, you know, like some email template that goes out and some, you know, that's like, you're working on the real goods.
3: Definitely, definitely, yeah. So like one of the main pages that, most of our merchants like view, which is like the orders page where they basically control everything uh, about like their store, mostly like the back end side of things like managing orders and fulfillment and all that. Yes, yeah, so I work on like that area. I mean, even that area is divided into like smaller sub teams, but it's, it's like the real deal. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, the uh, dev shop is powered by Shopify, so we're familiar with what you're describing. Uh,
3: (laughs) That's great.
0: And Hui Jing, can you tell us a bit about your background?
1: I also started out at a small web agency. It was more specific. It was like a Drupal agency. That was back in, I think, 2013. I see that as a milestone for official employment because people started to <laughs> actually pay me. Even though it's a Drupal agency, I think I gravitated toward doing the front end, like building a lot of custom themes about a year in. And, and I kind of just sat in that front end space ever since. Also moved around a bit. I, I too am a UX developer at Shopify. I am set in Singapore. So uh, I'm actually part of the international R&D. That's I think that's the official title. and. Slightly different from Ananya, I'm working more on the brochure sites. So for me specifically, because I'm on the China team, I'm working on the brochure site for our Chinese audience. And it has really been a very interesting experience. I think a lot of times, most folks who are not familiar with China, or at least have been to China or even developed anything in China, is that there's a very unique set of constraints that developers face, especially if you're working on the web. And that has been super interesting for me.
2: I'd love to learn about how you found yourself becoming a CSS expert, just how it became a part of your own development as a developer.
1: When I started web development, I didn't come from a computer science background, so I think in a ways that were there were pluses and minuses. I think the plus being it was a blank <laughs> slate, and this is a personal opinion, right? So like don't <laughs> add me on this, but I feel that the strongest computer programmers that I know, they they are I won't say tied in, but they're really comfortable with a certain mindset. I would say a style of writing code. I think the the easiest example is like you don't declare global variables. It's like it's bad form. For CSS, though, it is a cascading language. It's like you do have to make use of the cascade. You, you start at a global level and then you cascade down in terms of specificity. It's like a different programming paradigm. Okay, And I feel that because I came in with a blank slate, that actually made more sense to me than, than when I had to do... And again people are going to be opinionated on like JavaScript's not a programming language sorry it is. But when when I was looking doing doing JavaScript I was like, "Uh eh, it's 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 all right, I guess." Like cuz CSS made sense to me intuitively like from day 1. But JavaScript took me a while to 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 get on. So I think the first year I did a lot of unconventional things and in hindsight it wasn't the best solution at the time, but like if I had to do something interactive, and you could have just done it with, like I don't know, three lines of JavaScript, I was like, no, we're going to do this <laughs> with CSS. But it did make me better at CSS, enough to know that now, it's like, nah, that wasn't a, it works, but um you wouldn't ship that to production. But it was a good experience. I, I think a lot of my discovering relatively lesser known CSS properties came from that. I could do it in JavaScript, but no, <laughs> I want to make life difficult for myself and do it in CSS.
0: So with where CSS is today versus sort of the timeframe you were talking about when you were first up and coming in front-end development, is the choice to go with CSS for some of these things a little bit more practical with some of the newer things that are shipping in CSS versus, you know, that period of time in what you're describing?
1: To a certain extent, yes, there is a lot more that CSS can do out the box. When I was starting out, like 2009 to 2013, it was kind of an in-between period. CSS had been out for a bit, but that was the time where Flexbox was very messy. Everybody still used floats. Sass was so big. That was when, if you wanted to do column layout, you'd have to use, you know, a Susie. Gosh. That was the that was the framework you'd use to calculate the percentages you needed to get everything to line up right. But I think a lot of times I would do things like a like tabs and and accordions. And I think the techniques are fairly similar now. I would say you use the like target pseudo selector, but from I think in terms of a layouts perspective, that's where CSS really had the biggest change since since I started. What I've learned with experience is that if you do certain interactive things with CSS, you do lose some accessibility things that you would have had to add in. I mean, it's not because of JavaScript or because of CSS. It's just that you would have to add those in in JavaScript anyway. If you do it in CSS without any JavaScript, you don't actually do that extra layer for, say, like, ARIA attributes or, or things like that. So it's not JavaScript or CSS alone, per se. It's, it's just that if you wanted to add that additional layer when you're hacking onto specific designs or components, that's something that you have to take care of separately.
2: So Ananya, you wrote a piece on Dev titled CSS Can Do That, uh, which was really popular with the community. Um, I love to hear how, you know, how you ended up taking a deeper look at CSS.
3: I mean, I come from a computer science background, but whatever I'm doing today is definitely self-taught. By self-taught, I mean, like, I learned it myself, like, digging through courses and everything. And back in, like, my university days, I was not into front-end at all. Like, I used to do a lot of back-end stuff. But when I stumbled upon, like, this front-end as a career thing from there i basically just started to teach myself html css and javascript and like funnily enough when i started learning i like breezed over css because at that point it just felt like oh it's just a thing that you make things pretty with and that's just it but after a while i think i stumbled upon like this like really cool coat pen, which was I, I'm pretty sure it was by Sarah Drasner because like all her <laughs> demos are so amazing. But I don't remember whom it was. But I stumbled upon this coat pen where like they did like a really cool animation. And I was like, whoa, whoa, how do you do that? And then I saw the code and it was like all written in like CSS. And I think that was like one of the like turning points in my career when I thought, well, wait, you can do all this with CSS. And I had no idea. So I think from there on, I started learning a bit more and paying attention to it. And the more I dug into it, like the more amazed I became that, okay, there are like so many things you can do, but not. A lot of people are aware of it. And I think from there, that article kind of stems out from where I just wanted to like quickly list down like few things that I learned over the time that not many people would know because they haven't like explored a lot of CSS. Because like if you look into any of the introductory teach yourself to web dev kind of article, the first few lines will be HTML is for structure, CSS is for design like make things pretty and interactivity should be done with JavaScript. So I guess like people just believe that, okay, CSS is just this one thing that you just, you know, like make things pretty and that's it. And they don't really understand the capabilities of it. And so to be able to do that kind of visual stuff, but with code is like amazing.
0: Before you got so into CSS, did you think of the visual side of what you do and the computer science side of what you do? as somewhat distinct or did you always know there'd be a bit of interplay there?
3: I always thought that there is like this disconnect and I always had this like notion in my mind that the visual stuff is done by designers. I don't know, like I just had that notion in mind and like developers are people who are just going to like code things that like shouldn't really bother about the visual things. But I don't know where that thought came from. Like, I I have no idea, but it it was there in my mind. But when I started to actually look into like front end and like web dev and CSS and everything. So from there, it was like, you know, like the light bulb moment where I thought, well, hey, this is for me because I love coding. So I I don't want to become a designer, even though I love visual stuff, but I love coding so much more so that's where it like hit me okay i I can do both things and that's where like css comes in
0: sick of your laptop overheating every time you try to run your kubernetes application locally With Ambassador Telepresence, you can intercept your services on your local machine so that you can develop on your services as if your laptop was running in the cluster. Never worry about running out of memory again, no matter how complex your Kubernetes application gets. Ambassador Telepresence is free to use for teams with unlimited developers. Get started today at getambassador.io slash devdiscuss. New Relic's application monitoring platform gives you detailed performance metrics for every aspect of your software environment. Manage application performance in real time, troubleshoot problems in your stack, and move beyond traditional monitoring with New Relic 1, your complete software observability solution. Get started for free at developer.newrelic.com To connect with the team behind New Relic directly, join the Relicans. The Relicans is a new community hub designed to help developers create cool projects, inspire one another, level up, and learn in public. You can start a discussion about your favorite programming language, ask a question about software observability, share a tutorial, and lots more. Join today at theRelicans.com.
2: So I think you both mentioned just some hidden tricks with CSS. I love to hear about which tricks you find the most interesting. Wei would you like to
1: kick that off? I actually have a ranking of like my favorite CSS <laughs> properties. This is such a nerd so thing cool. to have, but I do. I'm going to talk about the top two. I think Ananya covered that in her article. I loved that article. Oh, by thank the way. you. So I am I'm Chinese, if you can tell from my name, and so I, I grew up in Malaysia. And our street signs are in um, Malay, which uses the alphabets, the, the ABC alphabets. And then there also like, is Jawi, which is a form of like, Arabic writing. So you have like, already alternate directions. And then like, the books that we had were some of the older ones. So there was a mix, right? So Chinese can be written both horizontally or, or vertically. I think the novels would be like vertical. So, so there were all these like, really interesting layouts that you see in real life. So so I was in a crowded train and there was this dude who was reading a novel. I mean I mean it's crowded, like I didn't want to look over <laughs> his shoulder. His shoulder was just right there. And so he was reading this Chinese novel. And you can imagine like a phone is portrait, right? And and the the, the text was was, you know, vertical, but on a on a phone, it's like, so 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 narrow. I was like, if you typeset it vertically, that would be it would feel nice, you know, it would look nice. I wonder if we could do that on the web. Turns out that we could. And then I'm going to sunk into a rabbit hole with that. uh, The second one, and and because Ananya also mentioned this in her article, shapes, CSS shapes, so good. My elevator pitch for CSS shapes is, you can now let your text flow around Beyonce's elbow, (laughs) like you could in a print magazine. And I I, I guess I'm going to hand this off to Ananya to elaborate a bit more about the beauty of shapes.
3: (laughs) I totally like second that. So you don't now have to actually set your text and your image in boxes. They can just have this like free flowing personality on your website, which is just so cool. Like you don't have, you can like let your creativity flow and you don't have to be um, confined to boxes, which is like amazing. And You can do like these amazing things and just have these like really random shapes. And those shapes can actually be like images or SVGs or anything. It doesn't just have to be like some image. And you can just add lots of like interaction to it and you can just create this like beautiful experience on the web.
0: Hit us with another great hidden trick.
3: Another thing would be like gradients. I love gradients. It's not just like the linear gradients that we can see, but now we can do like so much more with gradients. I think I covered this in my article, but there is this called conic gradient, where you can like actually create pie charts with CSS. And that just like blew my mind when I found out about it. I mean, you can't really do like super complex stuff with it, but if maybe you're like writing an article or you have like a really static... Page where, and you know like these values for the pie chart, you can just like immediately add them to like directly in your CSS, and you have like a really beautiful pie chart. Also, like you can add gradients to text, which I think like creates a really beautiful effect. The text gradient does not really have that much of support, but you can still like do it and like have um, fallback just like normal colors
2: in. So earlier, Ching um, you mentioned choosing CSS over JavaScript at times. Can you tell us about the benefit of you know CSS as opposed
1: to JavaScript? So there's no hard and fast rules in web development, right? And especially so for CSS. But for me, the general guiding principle is if it's a layout related thing, you want to do it in CSS. And this is like purely practical i think it makes sense if you kind of understand how the browser works under the hood right like you really don't want to jam up the main thread having your your browser struggling to calculate widths and heights of, of containers on your page when it could be doing like you know more useful computations like seriously the the css for layouts has evolved so much first of all we have flexbox we have grid and these are layout techniques that really, I would say, embrace the nature of the web, which is, if you think about it, the web is this medium. We like to analogize it to print, like, you you know, you call it web pages, but it's really not. It is a a digital medium, but one where, uh, if you're a designer, you are unable to control the environment in which your content is being viewed. And I think even a lot of designers find, if they weren't used to working on the web, this is something very, very challenging to design for because like traditionally you have this, this concept, this idea, this design in mind, and you could be relatively assured that whatever you put out in the world as your final product, that's the state that it's everyone's going to view, your vision, your idea in that way. So when it comes to layouts, the CSS for layouts has developed in such a way where it's asking authors of CSS to... Don't be so fixated on wanting things in a specific place at a specific time. You kind of give guidelines. You're like, I would like this block of content to be on the right side for the most part, and and uh, but I don't know how much content is going to be there, so I don't know how how wide it's going to be. Let the browser decide. So that's that's where I would let CSS do do most of the heavy lifting. If you're doing a lot of interaction heavy, you would want to have, you would want to bring in, so you wouldn't exclusively do it in JavaScript, but you want to bring in, sprinkle some of that JavaScript goodness on there. For me, like if you want to do more dynamic layouts, you would let CSS do most of the heavy lifting, and maybe you put some JavaScript in, in, in there to sprinkle on some, maybe some, some classes, you know, put in CSS classes to trigger other CSS it's not a CSS is better, JavaScript is better. It's, it's how we, like web developers, especially on the front end, right? How do we make these technologies work together better?
2: So I think a lot of people actually really dislike using CSS. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you have any theories as to why people have an unflattering view of the language.
1: This is based on anecdotal personal experience. I get the feeling that a lot of, again, air quotes hardcore programmers, they they don't think CSS is a thing. They're like, yeah, it's not even programming. What are you talking about? And I would say <laughs> that these opinions, to me, I find them, they're just conflicting because you don't like CSS because it's too easy, but then you don't like it because it's too hard. Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, make up your minds. Again, I would say that it, it's a very distinct paradigm from, from you would say, the more traditional uh, programming languages where you you know you write a lot of logic a lot of loop. i mean there is C- there is logic in css but it's 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 kind of different because if you think about like selectors right the, the, there's logic in there right like how would you i would say even structure your, your selectors to just, you just you'd you have to think about the math behind it if, if if you're thinking of more specific complicated like selector logic there, there's some logic there but but i would say that css when it first started it wasn't that it was really literally for, for presentational purposes, right? And, and because I'm more of a rabbit hole kind of person, I actually have read quite a lot of CSS specs over the years. What I discovered, fun fact, the first version of CSS that came out in 96, there was a line that said that CSS wasn't meant for doing layouts. Wow. And that just blew my mind because at the time it was more of a, like the, the web in and it, it of itself coming out of an academic environment like CERN, right? It, it got pushed through because it was a means for all the researchers to be able to share their academic papers. So it was very text heavy, like the focus on the presentation of text, right? So a lot of the CSS styles were were, were catered for that, you know? They, so they had a lot of things out of the box, like, you know, font size early on, you know, you could change their text to your colors. There were basic like margins and paddings and stuff like that, but it wasn't really meant for doing like the, the types of Creative layouts that you see coming out of, say, maybe ad agencies, you know those those really graphic designing stuff. That wasn't a use case at the time. So a lot of the technology that you had was was added on later. The complaint of each time is that why can't CSS do X? And I, I would like to plug uh, uh, someone who who's she's a member of the CSS working group. I would call her the the CSS advocate. Uh, like Rachel Andrew, who kind of. She, she mentions it best. She says that the, the statement today should be CSS can't do that yet B- because the way things are developing it's like there are more features coming in, and browsers have helped this a lot because the release cycle has shortened considerably. So I think this, this, this is something that people need to start getting used to because I, I feel that a lot of folks are still married to the mindset they're like, oh, it's not working, so I'm not going to use it. And that was fine. That was fine for five years ago because if it wasn't working, it was probably not going to work for the next six months. But it's very different now, you know? Like, if it's not working this month, it might work next month. And and I think a lot of it is is, is really not the technology's fault. It's It's our mindset around the technology, right?
2: For anyone listening that is open to changing their mindset or at least interested in digging deeper into CSS could you share some ways it can get started I know that you um, have given a talk before called how I learned to CSS at CSS conf in Asia
1: so my suggestion is is just look at the things around you look at look at like say maybe you you know you walk by a cinema and then you see a, a poster or or you know you see some <laughs> I don't know, cornflake box, whatever, right? And and think of ways that you could recreate that in, in CSS. For me, I find this an extremely fun activity. As you try to build this, this slightly unorthodox design, again, and then you're not constrained by, oh, I have to write beautiful code. No, write the shittiest code you want. As long as it looks like what you want it to be, go ahead. And that's where you expose yourself to all these different CSS properties. You'd be like, how... Can I make this, you know, overlap with that? And there's so many different techniques. You could use negative margins, you could use grid. you could, and, and you can just explore. And there's, again, like I said, like there, because there's limited stress and you're not constrained by, oh, I have to write the most beautiful, no, 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 write, write the, the most terrible code you want. And that's, I, I think it's a safe space to explore CSS in that kind of a context.
2: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like CSS art was also, like Ananya, you were inspired by that. Right, like and, yeah. and that's how you got into
3: CSS. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. I like completely agree with that, and I think for with learning CSS, it stands true with everything, right? Like no matter what programming language you're learning, you're only going to get better the more and more you practice. Without practice, it's it like you'll know just like the bits of theory here and there, but you won't actually be better at it. So it like directly applies with CSS as well. And like, for example, I would say that when I was learning Flexbox, I decided to like recreate this thing from my childhood. So if anyone like who knows me knows me, they know that I'm like a very big Harry Potter fan and I'm like obsessed (laughs) with it. So in like the Harry Potter series, there is this like newspaper called The Daily Prophet. So I tried to recreate this like whole newspaper with Flexbox. And at that time, like I didn't have the opportunity to use Flexbox at like the place of work, but I learned it in my own time. I created this like really fun project where I was like creating this like newspaper thing. And that was like a great learning experience. And it was so fun.
0: I really love throwaway code as a means of accomplishing thing, being given the opportunity to write code that you know doesn't have to last forever. It's a really freeing opportunity. CodePen is really cool because of that. You're not building code that has to build on to other code, which is usually what our jobs are for. And any opportunity to write stuff that doesn't have to support future functionality is really liberating and the best way to write CSS and, and, and other kinds of code, if you ask me. Chances are, like other software developers, you learn better by doing than just watching. Unfortunately, most online learning platforms still have you passively sit through videos instead of actually getting your hands dirty. Educative.io is different. Their courses are interactive and hands-on with live coding environments inside your browser so you can practice as you go. They're also text-based, meaning you can skim back and forth like a book to the parts you're interested in. Step up your learning in 2021. Visit educative.io slash devdiscuss today to get a free preview and 10% off of an annual subscription. A common scene in technology companies everywhere. Big conference table with the CTO on one end. Developer teams on the other, the showdown. We have an idea, will it get funded? More companies are feeling the pressure to go faster and stay ahead of the competition. Projects that have long timelines or no immediate impact are hard to justify. DataStacks is sponsoring a contest with real projects, real money, and real CTOs. If you have a Kubernetes project that needs a database, the winner will get funded with a free year of DataStacks Astra. Follow the link in the podcast description to submit your project. It's time to impress the CTO and get your project funded.
2: Now we're going to move into a segment where we look at responses that you, the audience, have sent us to a question we made in relation to this episode.
0: The question we asked you all was, what are some of the coolest things you've made using just HTML and CSS? Our first response from Suzanne, as part of the 100 Days Project Scotland, I've been doing a 100-day challenge to create some new art from only HTML and CSS each day. I'm over a third of the way through, and I've learned so much and made some fun things. The 100 Days project is about celebrating art and creativity, and I really want to show that developers create art too. The whole collection is here, and there's a link we'll put in the show notes. My favorite one so far is my washing machine.
1: That's amazing. (laughs)
0: Washing machines are the perfect blend of different sorts of shapes and motions and personality in an inanimate object in a way. I think that's a good idea. That's a good one.
2: As a sidebar, I like to see faces in almost all of my appliances. So I hear that. (laughs) Our next response is from Kay. And they wrote, I set pointer events to none. And JavaScript devs went crazy because their event <laughs> listeners wouldn't That's work anymore. That's so
1: fun! Oh my god! Oh. <laughs>
3: it's it's like it's like playing a prank on devs.
1: It's amazing. <laughs> Five stars.
0: In terms of cool things you can do with CSS, along these lines, if anyone leaves their computer open, I think a good prank is to install a script or browser extension that subtly modifies their whole web experience in a way they might not notice at first, but you know is kind of like impossible to ignore or hilarious that they that they won't notice it right away, and they'll they'll eventually ask why you know all the images in their web browser look like in such a way or there's no more color anywhere or anything like that.
2: <laughs> ben it sort of sounds like you've maybe done this to someone i mean, I was just <laughs> going to say
3: that like he sounds so confident oh
0: <laughs> I, I've done this to, to great results each time. I've never done anything overly (laughs) malicious, of course. uh, you know, It's a good way to teach people lessons about leaving their computers unattended, which is just good security practices, but (laughs) it's all in good fun.
2: Janet wrote in, last year, I took part in Codevember and used their prompts to try to make CSS art every day. I sadly didn't finish the challenge, but my favorite creation was this koi fish. I was actually able to talk about it in a few interviews, so that really helped during my job hunting. That's a topic we didn't really talk about, and it's really cool that Janet was able to leverage her CSS art for interviewing.
3: It's like we talked about like practicing CSS. So if you create these like really cool things, it just establishes you as like sort of an expert in that area, and you can leverage that like in your interviews and getting jobs. It's like a added bonus.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say that as well, Ananya. I'm sure your incredibly popular Dev posts have to be a big boon to your interview opportunities to be able to show off just what you've done and how much you've taught other people along the way.
3: Uh, Yeah, for sure. Like that article, I have no idea like why it blew up. (laughs) I did not expect it. And I mean, I wrote that, I think it's almost been a year now, like I wrote it last year. And even today I like get some Twitter DMs or emails Saying that they learned something from it, and every time they say, "Whoa!" like I'm so amazed that like, I had no idea that we could do that, and it just makes me like so immensely happy that people are discovering this, and maybe it's like a tiny nudge in their direction. Now they can like go ahead and explore these things, and like then they can create like more great things and like share with other people.
2: That is awesome, and it's cool to hear that you're getting fan mail. <laughs> yes. True.
0: So these responses are inherently quite visual. So everyone will have to check out the show notes to get a little bit more about what's going on. But Sharky writes in, this super cool pixel dragon took ages, but I had so much fun doing it. And they embedded a code pen.
3: I love pixel art. It's like one of
1: my favorites. Same. <laughs> My avatar that I use everywhere is, is like this pixelated version of myself. And people were like, oh, how did you generate it? I'm like, no, I clicked. I clicked for four <laughs> hours. And that's why I use it everywhere. I need to amortize the four hours of my youth I spent clicking. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do love pixel art.
2: I first learned about pixel art through actual like, like, painted pixel art. So, like, what? I think it was painted at least. But Jen Schiffer will take, like, pixel art, but then, like, actually <gasps> actually draw
1: it. Oh, Jen Jen Schiffer is
2: amazing. Oh.
1: Yeah, she's so fun. I was lucky enough to be in attendance at a Frontiers conference in Amsterdam last year. And Stephen Cook, so he's a friend and engineer, and his presentation was around CS's Mario Kart. But he had created, like, pixel art, Art with box shadows, Whoa. which is nuts. Because for for box shadows, it's one of those things that because it's a pixel, right? And like, box shadows are you can recreate unlimited the same shape. So if you're just doing squares, pixel art is like quite a, it's it's nuts. I think he used a generator for it, but still, it's it's that's the that's that's kind of like the most I would say, uh performant way you could do pixel art with CSS is that you you don't have to use like one thousand divs. Just use box shadow. So shout out Stephen Cook for showing the world that this technique exists.
2: So Shay wrote in, my whole homepage, steimelman.com, is pure HTML and CSS. I have some JavaScript for cleanup and automation of a couple things, but the rest is CSS. It's kind of a hobby of mine to try to solve JavaScript solutions in CSS.
1: Oh my God, high five. Oh, brilliant. (laughs) Good friend, best friend.
0: (laughs) Before we wrap up, can we ask one controversial question? How do you two feel about the topic of CSS in JavaScript?
1: Oh, I knew this was coming. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, for for me, I personally, I wouldn't do it on like a general scale. Like I, I feel that, you know, CSS, if you put your CSS in JavaScript, you kind of lose a lot of the power of CSS. But I won't say css and javascript is is like you know something that should never be done. I don't think so because I feel that every solution has a very specific use case, and whether or not you pick a solution, I think it's the onus is on you to 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 weigh the pros and cons and if like if css and javascript fits your 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 unique use case or like your, your your application, the way your application runs the way your team is structured, all those different things. If that works for you, I think go ahead. But I don't think it's something like you should say, like, oh, everything should be CSS in JavaScript. That's the opinion that I don't agree with. But But I mean, personally, I'm not a big fan, but I can see where it can be useful. And I would say if your use case fits that, go ahead. I personally do not like mm. it.
3: I don't think I've actually used uh, CSS and JS in like large scale mm-hmm. applications. But yeah, I mean if it fits your use case then sure go go ahead. But if I have to choose, I think I would stick with CSS separately yes. because 100%. No, th- that's my opinion. Yes.
0: <laughs> I think some problems arise when folks think in a sort of misguided way that CSS is kind of fading and CSS and JS is kind of like the future. And there's sometimes this feeling of pressure that if there's some new idea that the old one is going to fade away. And I think to some of the points you made, Hui Jing, earlier about the journey that CSS has been on from the beginning in terms of how it's evolved and everything, It would be a real shame to think that we can't leverage all the great stuff that's come out, all the ideas that have been built around in terms of both what you can do with CSS and then how it's meant to be cached in the browser and all that stuff. So if you really know why CSS and JS is the right choice, that's probably a really good one. But I think there's a lot of developers out there playing follow the leader and doing whatever their their favorite Twitter developer is saying
1: yeah no i recently came across the term hype driven development i was like oh that's so true oh my god (laughs) yes i see a lot of people tweet about like
3: that if you're not doing css and js like you're doing it wrong and i do not like when people say that like i'm
1: offended i'm offended by that yeah
3: Yeah, i mean it fits their use case that's great but deriving their opinion and sharing with like people in a way that says that if you're like not writing CSS and JS, you're doing it wrong. And so these like upcoming developers who don't necessarily have that much guidance, they are definitely misguided. And it's it's
1: like it's doing more harm than it's doing good oh for sure I 100% agree I think for me personally I really don't like people telling me what to do so so like <laughs> if someone told me your table's really messy you should clean it up even if I was going to clean it I'm like no <laughs> I, I will walk away I don't like the should part if yeah. you phrase it in that I'm just I'm sharing with you this is what worked for me I, I love that. I think that's great because that like, you're sharing one more idea. Mm-hmm. But to force your opinion on others, that's the part that I disagree with. Again, so it, for me, it boils down to it's not even about CSS and JS uh, as a technique anymore. It's more of like people seem to be adamant in trying to insist that this is the right way. But I think the nature of CSS in and of itself already is there is no one right way. Because mm-hmm. CSS is, is very contextual. I, I feel that with the, the types of properties that we have now it's even more like content aware than before so it's like without understanding the context you are in no position to say what is better or not
2: ananya Weijing, thank you both so much for joining uh, us today. thank
1: you so much for having us this was thank great you so I much. love talking about css this is so much fun <laughs> yeah yes <laughs>
2: thank everyone who sent in responses. For all of you listening, please be on the lookout for our next question. We'd especially love it if you would dial into our Google Voice. The number is International Code 1-929-500-1513. Or you can email us a voice memo so we can hear your responses in your own beautiful voices. This show is produced and mixed by Levi Sharp. Editorial oversight by Peter Frank and Saran Yabarik. Our theme song is by Slow Biz. If you have any questions or comments, please email pod at dev.to and make sure to join our Dev Discuss Twitter chats on Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern. Or if you want to start your own discussion, write a post on Dev using the hashtag Discuss. Please rate and subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts.